Welcome back to the Socially Distant Sports Spa. Ellis and Mike are in their places. Uh, another afternoon one this time round. How are we, boys? Okay? Very good. Didn't have time for a coffee, so I wanted to pep myself up um, so that I'm at my very best for recording this. So I had a cold shower. Oh, wow. And I feel... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I that was shorter really than making a coffee. How long does your yeah. coffee making take? Well, well, it's two well, things. You've got to grind need... the beans. You've got to pick the beans, grind them I've... by hand. Yeah, yeah. I've got it takes a, about I've two got days, a... they're funny. Yeah, and I only have one cup of days. Well. Gotta pick the beans. But I put an awful lot into it. So as we've already established on this podcast, I'm a, a coffee dick. Yeah. I didn't have time. I thought you said connoisseur then, I was gonna call you a dick for all day. <laughs> well done. I didn't have time to grind and then, you know the the V sixty pour over ticks a certain amount of time. But I need a shower anyway. I thought, well, this is the Combine perfect, the two loves. Perfect Please tell me you solution. just shower like a normal person, do you? Yeah, I mean, I've I I switched to cold. Yeah. You're a cold shower man, aren't you? Halfway through, yeah. I quite makes, like a cold shower. It makes me feel like a tough guy. Very, very few things make me feel like a tough guy. But aren't you? You're into the whole cold water scene. Yeah, yeah. Not as much as I used to be, but absolutely. Because yeah. he, he, to be fair, he's from West Wales and they're notoriously tight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where that's coming from. And there's a there's a there's a clip. I'm trying to select. The perfect clip from the person Steph is alluding to. He's a he's a Dutch cold water pioneer called Wim Hof. Right, let me tell you something, mate. They don't, you can't be a pioneer of cold water. Well, if cold water was here well before he was the knob. I haven't I haven't sent you the right clip, and you clearly haven't read the books. Right, because he hasn't invented he cold water. Cold, yeah, but he thinks that cold water. He's invented cold water therapy. No, he hasn't. And he think he thinks that he thinks that cold water. No, he hasn't. Because for a hundred thousand years, Homo sapiens only had cold water, mate. That was that was your option. Yeah, exactly. And we've all moved on to central heating. Right. And Wim Hof from Holland oh, realizes that central heating is killing us. Does it? So he's going to live until he's hundred and fifty because uh, yeah, he's learned to embrace freezing his tits off and boring everybody. <laughs> He climbed up. <laughs> he climbed up Kilimanjaro in his pants. Oh, that's, that's the thing he oh, does. Oh, he sounds like a real character, this dude, doesn't he? <laughs> in his pants. I bet he's a right laugh. I, can you get him off for a pint with us? Didn't you go and stay with him? I'd love. To, I mean, I'm I'm trying to persuade BBC Wales to stump up the cash, the two thousand yeah. dollars it would require for me to go and stay with him in Poland, where he'd he'd roll me around in oh, snow. Oh, here we go. And because it's you, mate, um, there's a good chance that'll happen as well. I was going to say, there's a good chance I will be watching. If you call that, if you call that Ellis James goes to Poland and meets a twat about cold water, BBC Wales will bite your hand off. It's more of a Channel 4 title than a BBC Wales title, isn't it? Oh Going to Poland yeah. to meet a twat and yeah. pushed around in cold water. <laughs> my stupid cold water friend on Channel 5. On, that would be, on Channel 5, that would be, be Channel 5, yeah. 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 But he, 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 he doesn't think there's anything that cold water can't cure, whether it's cancer or grieving. Oh, he thinks that cold water is I can't wait to get a serious illness. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and I don't wish, and I don't wish that on many people. Hardly anybody. Hang on, I gotta, I gotta go and um, chastise my children. They're throwing cricket balls at the, my bar right there. Oh God, go on! I, I, I actually want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. Well, it's just, just a look. It's yeah. just done with. I just give him. I just give him one of my withering, my withering Bishop of Exeter gazes, and they've stopped. Um. That's good control. Yeah, no, people who, who invent stuff. Yeah. My mate Neil, who lives in Los Angeles, and... Uh, hang on a minute. Ben? Ben? What are you doing? Yeah? Yeah, are you knocking a cricket ball against this wall? 
You uh, you sure? Okay. I'd rather, yeah, maybe I'll use it. Yeah. Practice the mental aspect of the game. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, sorry. Ben is now sledging um, his sister. Yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. He's just set in the field and he'd be, he'd be ages now. Um, no, but he's, he lives in LA, but he's into all these. I think he listens to the podcast, Neil. He's a good bloke, right? He's a good mate. But he's very, he's gone very California since he's been there. Yeah. So he stayed here. Last time he was over, he stayed here. But he'll have, like, in the morning, a pint of hot water with with a lemon. Oh, yeah. He spends, he'll spend a good half an hour brushing his teeth. Um, and he, he has a cold, freezing cold shower every day. And does yeah, yoga. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he's literally like a, it's like I've fallen through the looking glass and meeting my, my mirror, my polar opposite. Yeah. <laughs> He's blonde. He's got a six pack. He's uh, he's into his yoga and his martial arts. Doesn't really like team sports um, and drinks hot water and lemon and takes cold showers. Have you ever had a freezing cold bath? No, oh, that's brilliant. Because why would Absolutely I? Absolutely horrible. Know. Did you Super ever do brilliant. ice bath stuff in your rugby days? I, we, we did that. Yeah, we had. Well, it was, but it was very much a, a Cardiff version of that. When well, I played for the Glamorgan Wanderers in Ely. Yeah, and people who don't know the the area, it's it's. Uh, Challenging. Oh, a state agent. Frightening. A state agent would describe as up and coming, probably, right? Um, so after a game, we used to have a, like a big water butt, like those huge double-sized water butts you have in a, in a garden centre. And they'd fill that yeah. up with co- cold water and ice cubes and put a little, a little little stool, like a plastic stool in there. And you had to sit in that after a game, just only 10 seconds, get in there, get out, and then have a shower. I did it once. Otherwise, so well, you're, you're not paying me enough to do this, so I'm not doing it anymore. Who are they paying you for the Wanderers? Yeah, yeah. Oh. not much, but it was you know. Fair play. Why are you so surprised? Well, no, I'm well. Your age? Well, but... I wasn't playing now, was I? No, no, no. But well, I think age. he means your age, as in compared to professionalism. Yeah, it's only been open since 1995, so I didn't know that. Well, when I was 23. Yeah, but you know, the, I didn't realise it in the year 2000. <laughs> the Morgan Wanderers were. <laughs> Pain you know, you know how age works. I'm older than you by eight years. You're pro- yeah, you're a professional rugby player, my bubs. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Well, thanks. So, round one of clips. Uh, Ellis. Can I just uh, stop you there, Steph? Yes, you can. Have we finished the preamble? We don't have to have. Continue. You just always ask how my day was, and no one asked me how my was. You were oh. here, Steph. Oh, well, I mean... Okay. I can either just do you know no, it's just traditional. It's just traditional. A traditional, you, say, you know. So you feel offended, is what you mean? And I, and I don't. I'm not the sort of person who would jump in and say I want to go first. I'll let, I don't. I'll, want to, I don't want to make you feel sad. No, I'm not sad. No, you look sad. That's the wrong word. Angry. got a bit. El got a bit Radio Five on me. Pulled rank. Jumped in like he always does. <laughs> yeah. And at least you all come to me second and say I was your day, Mike. Uh, yeah. But you didn't even do. I that. wouldn't say Bubs looks sad. I would say he looks more crestfallen <laughs> slash mournful. Yeah, Mournful, yeah. good, good like that, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Mike, how how was your yeah. week? That led it really well. Let's get on with the one. show. No, 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 no. I want I want details. No, no, details. no. What, what you up to? Not, no, I want to know. Where have you been with well, the kids? I went to and Park yesterday with the kids. Kelly, was it fun? It was fun actually. I was I was I was, I was yeah. uh, just chewing the fat with Al before we started recording, saying that I would love to have been a wealthy. Victorian industrialist, and, that, and you know, and I had one of those massive houses you see. 
I would have loved it. I would love to have like 60 gardeners and cooks and people looking after me and everything. A huge staff, maybe 150 people. Who's oh literally yeah. lived on site and their only their only purpose in life was to serve my every whim. I think that would we missed a trick there. Brilliant. All right then, if you're a millionaire, yeah. what would be the first multi. thing? Multi. I want to be I want to be I want to be a multi multi Victorian millionaire. Yeah, don't silly wealth. All right, I I click my fingers, you're a multi millionaire. What's the first thing you spend money on? A massive house, and I mean stupid, like too big for me to ever much bigger than I'll ever need. Okay. Right. Yeah. First thing I'd spend on, I'd get Ramsey and Bale just to come to the park for half an oh, hour and play football. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? What would they charge? You know that Rod Stewart's built in Los Angeles has built his own football pitch? Yeah, yeah. He's got a huge yeah. house. But then he flies over his favourite Scottish team from back in the day, his favourite players. Brilliant. And they play, they play games basically in his garden. Oh, That's quality, isn't it? So he, so he pays. I mean, not like not modern day uh, Scottish players. Cause that's not his thing. You know, the team from like, the seventies and the eighties. Ross Stewart flies yeah. him over there. Ross Stewart plays for his own team against like a Scotland uh, select, and he has a Rod Stewart select, and they play a game of football on his in his garden. That is that's fantastic. Cool. Slash that's amazing, isn't it? I do that. <laughs> That'll be the second thing. A massive house, my own rugby pitch. Yeah. Where I'm playing, I'm just picking my team. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm captain of my team. Yes. Against. Against the rest of the world, fifteen. But been select fifteen. I've got those gold shorts on, like they wear in um, gold Noldies rugby, so I couldn't be tackled by anybody. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they have in gold Noldies? It's like it's all like, age age specific. In it, I think if you're over seventy, you get, you get with the gold shorts, which means you can't. Okay, you know, it's just. <laughs> I need to. We 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 had a game of Barry Veterans. Uh, we played Bove Veterans, which is our twin club, a few years ago. I might have told you this story. Um, but I played back row, and I would be about 42 then. So you'd have been eight years younger, Al, right? Right, okay. And they had an, they had an outside half who looked just like Larry David. Do you remember Larry David's <laughs> right. enthusiasm? Yeah. yeah. The skinny, bald, grey um, little Frenchman playing outside half. We get down near their line, and my friend Andy Prosser says to me, uh, Bub, it's a bit of pressure now, a bit of pressure on, on, on the outside half. Me and I suppose let's go for a charge down. Let's try and get it. Just get the, get a ball back and make you make a mistake. So I came off the side of this scrum. So I was playing flanker, and as he kicked the ball and he was sort of in midair with these rickety old legs, I almost it was like a concertina. I hit him in the, in the waist Ooh. and drove him and just proper landed, drilled him into the into the floor. And he would have been probably late sixties. That's someone's granddad. Um, well, I thought I, I generally if briefly thought I killed him, <laughs> and then. I, I look up, and not only are all the French team appalled with me, right, but all my own team are appalled with me as well. <laughs> and Andy Prosser going, <laughs> Andy Prosser went, what the fuck are you doing? You, I said, you said, you're the one who said put pressure on him. I play to win. Fucking, he's, a, he's a fucking old man. As soon as you cross that whitewash, you know, game's on. He will have gone home to his wife, and she'll have made a... Croc, yeah, life. croc madame or a beef bourguignon or whatever, and he'd have said, oh. I think I'm, I think that's me done with rugby actually, because <laughs> absolutely. Je n'ai pas joué au rugby, non, non, je très mal. L'imbécile de Barry, fucking oof, or whatever, in French. You got useful um, French. Mine doesn't extend beyond where's the train station. Où est la, où est la, où est la gare? Yeah, yeah, we. Yeah. 
Le Bibliothèque Grande. I live with a French girl, and I lived in Montreal for a bit as well. And as we've established before, I, I lived and taught briefly in Switzerland, so uh, in the French area of Switzerland. Yeah, my problem is my, my pronunciation is very good, apparently, and my accent's R- good. Right. But that lets. But then people who do speak French then are, are lulled into thinking I can speak more French than I can because my limited French vocabulary is, is pronounced well. I said no Ghanaian bloke. He spoke five or six languages, and I I drove into Cardiff once, and as we got into Wales. He was looking at the Welsh road signs and saying, so how would you say that? Yeah. And I'd say, Gwasanaethau, that means services. And he would say, Gwasanaethau, but his accent, it sounded like he was from sort of Capel Dewey. <laughs> he spoke Welsh from Maidrim. It was amazing. Was he like Eddie Butler-esque? I mean, he's, he's the king, isn't he? Eddie Butler's the man. I love watching Eddie Butler. The thing... But the problem with watching Eddie Butler doing something is when he sort of says, he's chatting away and he go, uh, and he passes the ball to Philippe Sanistev. I thought, I'd just say Philippe Sanistev is fine. Yeah. Right? Get the letters right. You, you, you're, given a, you're given a commentary in English to an English speaking, an English understanding yes. audience. Yeah. Just say, say the French word, get the letters right, but you haven't, got yeah. to, you haven't got to suddenly, like you've lived in the Dordogne for 40 years, right? If if French people do that, you'd think you'd think they were mental. If they, if they sort of started saying English words and spoke English, but in a in a very forced English accent, you'd what, think we'll well, uh, toilet. Yeah, yeah. Je voudrais but, a but, good old fashioned fryer. And what I've noticed as well is Butler, <laughs> but, Butler never does it for other for other nationalities, is he? They don't play Japan. He doesn't go full <laughs> tenko because it would sound ridiculous. It would sound <laughs> racist. That is where that borderline is, is quite funny, yes. Yeah. yeah. Lovely day, you're in Cardiff, and uh, there's the Spanish team by their captain. <laughs> he doesn't do it. No, you're right, he doesn't. He doesn't turn Manuel, he doesn't turn Tenko, he just, he only does it for He doesn't do it with Scottish as well, does he? No, he That's a fantastic kick to touch oh, there from Gavin Hastings! <laughs> <laughs> Pass the ball out to young John Jeffries, the big kill so far. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> it, is right, it is French. They do it in football countries. Hoots! They do it, yeah, that's really <laughs> Just French. This is better from Ireland. Is out white to Brian O'Driscoll. Heart of all to Brian O'Driscoll. What? Eddie, that sounds really racist, mate. Please don't comment on the cricket. If we play India, we'll never be... Honestly... We'll never be broadcast again. Test match special ticked <laughs> off his list of things to do. Yeah. He's like a modern day Windsor Davis. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> why is it just the French team? Do you think it's cool, that boy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You join us at the old for the second test between England and Pakistan. No, oh, Eddie, no. no. <laughs> Eddie, cut. No. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do your batting lineups. You won't. <laughs> yeah. You can do the home team, Eddie. <laughs> we'll go to Aggers for the away. Oh my god! <laughs> nice fella, though. One of the best. Met him the other day. Great waist on him. For a, for he's a in great like, shape. Oh, he's great like a thirty-two inch waist. Yeah. Ooh. Absolute gentleman. Lovely voice. Yep. Owns a chicken farm. Loves his French accents. Just. <laughs> Just the French. Just the French. There's a slight the hypocrisy, French. isn't it, in the way the British football fans say the name Paris Saint-Germain. Because yes. you say Paris. Saint-Germain is yes. sort of how the French would say it. But, Paris. yeah, but it's not Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. So it should be yes. Paris Saint-Germain. 
Well, when you had like Ray French and Alec Murphy back in the old days doing yes. the rugby at Trez, they didn't piss around. They, they spoke French, but with a proper northern accent, you know. Yeah. Carcassonne, Philip Santastev and all that sort of stuff. Carcassonne. You know I mean? Carcassonne. Yeah. Ted Heath used to speak uh, French. With He's a big lad, there's Pierre Lacroix. <laughs> Anyone who pronounces Juventus any other way is just being belligerent. What are the other ways? Well, just pronouncing the J. Juventus. Oh, yeah. yeah, anyone doing that is just being belligerently weird. But then Jose Mourinho, you pronounce the J. Well, that's because yeah, he's that's Portuguese, Portuguese though. not Spanish, yeah. yeah. Oh. Which I got wrong. Well, no, it is. I got wrong for years. Here's an interesting uh, ling- linguistic fact for you. Oh, go on. You know, when you go to North America or Central America or South America mm-hmm. and people speak Spanish, they would mm-hmm. say gracias. Okay? Mm-hmm. Whereas in Spain, they would say gracias. Mm-hmm. See? Got the TH sound there? Because yeah. there was a there was a Spanish king with a lisp apparently, who couldn't no. say his t- so he would say gracias, right? And then to make no. him not feel embarrassed, all the court would then do that, and then all the people really? of France then did that as well. I don't know about that. Look it up, mate. I mean, it might be an urban myth. It might be like the bloke who you know had his bollocks caught on his hip jog. I don't know, but I mean, I've no reason to doubt it. I've no reason to doubt it. It was on the internet. <laughs> I'd like to know what the uh, what the world would do differently if I was a king, and they and and my courtiers and uh, subjects. Well, didn't want to didn't, make you feel didn't want to make me feel embarrassed. Wow. Yeah, pork pies to take off. I buy shares in pork pies straight <laughs> yeah. away. Pork pies and uh, short, thin penises. <laughs> <laughs> All the rage. Blows getting penis reductions. <laughs> Try and fit in a court. <laughs> I'd be banished. Imagine that. I'd be, I'd be persona non grata. No, I'd have you in court as a freak. I'd get you to walk around with your trousers down. With your branch and tangerines out. <laughs> Look at him. It's disgusting. Look at the state of I think I'll just pop me with craft dinner and then i got to leave again then. Bring the chimp in. Get it out. <laughs> Bubs is in floods of tears. All the country's just laughing at me. I've broken down like, like a bloke who's just had my middle name used. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Steph. Yeah. Good. Good. Glad I asked. Right, first round of clips. Uh, Ellis, you are up first this week. What do you fancy? Oh, one of the great imports to the Premier League since it began in 1992-93. One of the greatest players I've seen play in my lifetime, Mr Eric Cantona. Now, he's got such a powerful personality and he's so famous for his off-the-field stuff. I think it's almost easy to forget just how wonderful a player he is or just how wonderful a player he was. So if you're in any doubt, sit back and enjoy this because it's five minutes of absolute genius. So there we go, he doesn't really fit the bill for flair players, because when we think of flair players, we often think of them as being quite small and mercurial and thin, hands on hips, socks rolled down, but he was a big lump, Eric Cantona. Iwan Roberts, who I know very well, played against him, so you didn't realise how big he was until you lined up against him, because he was six foot two and he was broad and he was powerful, and he really had it all. He was, he was great in the air, fantastic pass of the ball, brilliant dribble of the ball, 
great shot, amazing vision. Just what a footballer. Um, and also, I think one of the reasons I loved him is that unlike most footballers, obviously have um, a an in very instinctive intelligence. He was he was academically very bright as well. He was interested in politics and philosophy, and he was just a complete package. And I loved watching him play. He retired at the age of thirty, um, and there was definitely more to come. But what a record! You know, he won the league at Leeds. Obviously, was brilliant at Man United. Great in France as well. We probably didn't see the best of him playing for. Uh, playing international football, he play, I think he got yeah. forty-five caps, and his ban for kicking the Crystal Palace fan, kung fu kicking Matthew Simmons at Sellers Park, that ban coincided with the emergence of Zidane. So when he was back and um, eligible to play international football again, Zidane had appeared, and they, they were going to build uh, okay. the team around him as a playmaker rather than Cantona. So you know he, he didn't play at Euro '96. And I think if Zidane hadn't turned up or if he hadn't been banned and had kept his place inside, he probably would have carried on until France 98. Yeah. But what a career. I suppose the the only thing you could say is that he wasn't the quickest, but he had everything else. Well, do you know what? We've been doing this for four or five months now. And and it's I enjoy watching the clips that you that you and Steph bring and the docs and stuff because it's, it's stuff that maybe has passed me by. Hmm. So that when... Uh, the Premier League started. I would have been just about starting university then. We didn't have Sky in university, so I didn't really watch much football at all. Did my yeah. teacher training after that, didn't watch much football. And then it was just rugby, rugby, rugby. So for probably 10, 15 years, I didn't really watch any football. Right? Okay. So I knew Cantona, obviously. That, that team sort of, uh, that United team and, and Alex Ferguson, because they were so, well, two things. One, they kept being good for so long, but they, they also became household names anyway. So I knew Cantona, but mostly I knew it for the eccentricities off the field. I knew it for the, the kung fu kick you talked about. And I knew he was a good player, right? I didn't realise how good he was. So when I watched this clip, and I, I take little notes when I'm watching the clips or the docs or whatever, and there was one, and it's, it's about very early in, and he beats, I think, four or five Newcastle yeah. defenders, yeah, and then yeah, just yeah. basically does this little lob chip to score, which is fucking audacious. Right? Yeah, and it's like play, it's like going, an adult playing against kids. I was thinking, oh, it's amazing, it's fucking brilliant. Because two of them are on the floor. And I, <laughs> yeah. I wrote it down. To, I wrote it down to say I've got to talk about this clip. This this will be the standout clip. It wasn't even the standout clip. It is the one yeah. I talked about. Then they yeah. just kept happening all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it was like when you see people do. You can be the world keep-up champion and be a pathetic footballer, right? I know pl- plenty of people can do the skills yes. that can't play football, right? And often they don't, yeah. they don't relate to playing the game well, right? When you watch someone like that, yeah, the, the the ball's like glued to their foot. They can do whatever they want to do with it, and they can play football, and they've got the vision, yes. and they can finish stuff. I thought, bloody hell! I I, I had no idea he was as the good one as where he he's was. doing keep-ups I, I was and giggling. running, yeah. Oh. And you think he's not in control of the ball until you see the pass he does right at the oh, end of yeah. the move. And you're like, oh. I was giggling watching it all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, bloody hell. But that Newcastle one does stand out. But a stand there with a defender and the goalie and to do that, because you can. Yeah. Right? And you completely back yourself. You're going to score. You're not going to miss that. Where Obviously, the percentage shot isn't that shot, right? Yes. 
I just thought, fair play to you, mate. That is that is entertainment. That is what that is what sport is all about for me. He seemed to play by different rules to everyone else, and other big characters will say Cantona was just different. So Paul Lynch said, you know, when 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 he came to Old Trafford from Elland Road, he had such belief and gravitas. It took the pressure off all of the other players because he was basically mm. saying, "Oh, it's fine. I'm here now. I'm going to win you the league. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> you do what you do. I, I'll do what I do, and we'll win the Premier League. It's fine." Yeah. And he just he just had this belief that I think was quite overwhelming, and also it, it swept all before him. So you know, even even Ferguson was carried along by it. The fact mm. that Leeds sold him for one point two million pounds is absolutely crazy. The fact that Sheffield Wednesday didn't sign him up, yeah, yeah. when he went there on a trial, yeah, mad, is bonkers, absolutely mad. There's also two sorts of French people, right? Uh, well, there's probably more than two, but I'm going to make one of my sweeping generalizations. If it's okay, that's no, fine. There are two. Go on. There's, there's the sort of. We've all seen him with their stupid kickers on, walking around Trafalgar Square, right? Just looking, and you just think, how, how do the French get a, how do the French get such a reputation of coolness when they they do quite often look absolutely shapeless, right? But then you meet the genuinely cool French, yeah, like Cantona, and the fact that he's, I don't know what it is. What makes him be such a? I, I like turn into a kid watching him play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He have his, he'd have his collar turned up, and he would have that sort of. Chest out, that sort of that little strut, and he would be so cocksure of himself. And then when you see him, because I went into a bit of a rabbit hole after that, watching that of Cantona stuff, right? <laughs> the fact that he's French adds definitely adds to it. Yeah, yes. the post-match stuff. And he, you mentioned about the poetry and thing. He, other Premier League footballers or professional footballers, if you talked about philosophy or poetry, you know, you, you think of the stick that someone like. Um, Lasso got yeah yeah for for daring oh, to be yeah. moderately intelligent right because yeah. he was English the fact that he was French and quirky and different just meant that he got away with a lot more off the pitch as well I, think. I I saw this on his Wikipedia which made me laugh so much Cantona received the UEFA President's Award in August 2019 dressed in a flat cap he began by quoting William Shakespeare's King Lear as flies to wanton boys we are for the gods before referencing science war and crime. Similar to the response to his Seagulls press conference in 1995, <laughs> the puzzled audience watched in silence. <laughs> oh, must be so good. And I think he's probably a little bit bored by footballers, and he's probably a little bit bored yeah. by life because he's clever. Yes. Yeah. And he's found everything he's turned his hand to very easy. He's in, the, he's in a Liam Gallagher video. Liam Gallagher released a single a few months ago, and he's in the video for that, and he's absolutely brilliant. You know, he's turned his hand to acting. He's I I just love him. But but all of that other stuff makes sense because he was such a majestic footballer. If he'd been a shit mm. footballer, that would yeah. annoy me. <laughs> but the fact that he was the best player in the league by a mile when he was yeah. playing allows him then to stretch his legs and get involved in acting and quote King Lear in press conferences. But what's he going to sit down there and talk to Wayne Rooney about? Do you know what I mean? Paul Parker and Dennis Irwin about oh, God. Camus. <laughs> and he wanted to tell Albert Camus. They're like, what? Can we just play pontoon? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> we can, if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sh- eat your cocoa pops yeah. and shut up, Eric. <laughs> Are you talking about that, that system of 
you know, reliance on a structure, if you like. So they go through the system and they do whatever they're told. Mm. They don't learn independently. <laughs> you talk about Cocoa Pops. We were staying in the same hotel as there the goes. England Hang rugby on. team. <laughs> right, Richard okay, let, let's, 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 let's have a guess then, Bubs. Who, who are you going Come for? On. It'll be, it'll be uh, yeah. global. It'll be someone global. I am going to go for... Steve, Steve Ovette and Banky Moon. The nice. Banky's got two sheds, one for him, one for his wife. <laughs> so it's during the Rugby World Cup when England won it, and we're staying in the same hotel as them. And we're at breakfast, and the England nutritionist puts out uh, signs next to the breakfast things as to what the players are supposed to have. So name tags next to all these things. But it's in a general hotel breakfast place. Hmm. So one of the other, it wasn't me, it was one of the other commentary teams from Five Life picked up Johnny Wilkinson's one from Poached Eggs, put it next to Cocoa Pops, and with no independent thought at all, Johnny filled up his bowl and cracked on no with a load of Cocoa Yeah, 100%. Oh, well, Just cracked on because that's what he thought the nutritionist wanted him to have that day. I've got to tell you my favourite, very briefly, before I forget it, mention the Wanderers. I played with a fella, a Jewish fella, uh, which is very unusual in rugby, really, but he, uh, he was a mate of mine. We sat down after one game, and his old man would turn up at the games in this nice big Rolls Royce, right? He's minted his dad was. He'd always put up 100 quid or 200 quid behind the bar to buy the boys a pint, a pint afterwards, right? So, so I'm sat down there with, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use his name, right? Dave, right? And Dave's old man, just sat next to him. And uh, we're chatting about stuff. And then they bring round, uh, we had like, I think it was gammon and chips, gammon, peas and chips, right? So they bring the gammon down there for Dave and his old man. And I'm eating the gammon, and I look at Dave, and Dave's eating the gammon, and Dave's dad's eating the gammon, right? I said, Dave, you're Jewish, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, gammon's pork, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, you can't eat pork, can you? He went, this is not pork, this is chicken. I said, no, mate, it's pork. He went, Dad, what am I eating? He went, chicken, what am I eating? He said, chicken. He said, see, it's chicken. (laughs) And that's that's what they got around it. Tell themselves it was chicken every game. Perfect. <laughs> I was just going to say, we talk about um, having a vest, and someone mentioned this the other day. Uh, the Maccabee Games is the way forward. The Jewish, the Jewish Games. Because I used, oh, to coach yeah. a, I used to coach a kid in Toronto. He was yes. like the coolest kid I've ever seen in my life. He looked like a surfer. A kid called Harley. Long, blonde hair, tanned, yeah. really good-looking kid. And uh, he played rugby, I think, for the Canadian... Maccabee Sevens team or something. Okay, so that's the way yeah. forward, mate. If we if we converted to Judaism, yeah, we could probably get a Welsh Maccabee vest. I would do that. I'd love yeah, it. There's, the there's one aspect of the conversion that I'm slightly uncomfortable with. But I, th- but I think once you get past a certain age, that's not necessary. Yeah, I think you just pull it back <laughs> and hope for the best. <laughs> if they do check, just pull it back. It'll just look a bit more purple than the other boys, that's all. Because <laughs> it hasn't hasn't been... Uh, that's not as much action as the other ones. Yeah, so. it hasn't been exposed to uh, no. 38 years of wear and tear. No, exactly, yeah. I'll just rub it on the inside of your pants. It must be awful. You... Oh, my God. But we're, we're all saying that as, as, as males with, with sheaths. <laughs> <laughs> Is it colder? I think it's qualified. Yeah. I didn't used to know. When I should, in the old days, looking at the back of the papers and the classified sections, um, pre-internet, 
when you looked at the men looking for men, I was just curious. I wasn't, and I wasn't curious in that way. I was just looking, I was flicking through. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're not judging. Yeah, you were taking information on board as a young man. When it would yeah. say cut or uncut, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what, I didn't know what uncut meant or, or what cut meant. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I realised. Although, of course, in Canada, you routinely circumcised anyway at birth. Yes, and in the US as well. There was one lad in the team with me who had a foreskin. Uh, Andrew Clapperton, his name was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, he was born in Scotland, moved to Canada as a three-year-old. There you go. There we are. So if you're listening, Andrew, I'll be well. I'll be Mama Della well, and I'll be a foreskin as well. God, I love sport. Uh, Mike, you are up for clip number two in round number one. Right, I've picked a clip here. Um, serendipity is a wonderful thing. Uh, if you, I'm not going to tell you what it means. Look it up, then you'll, you'll remember next time. Um, Eric Cantona would know. Dennis Irwin, Konchelskis, yeah. maybe some yeah. of the other. So maybe some of the other boys wouldn't be so sure. Graham Rousseau probably would know. Yeah. Uh, Lineker, I think these days probably would know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian St. John, yes. Greavesy, no. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That's you know. Which is why they work so well on telly as a partnership. Yeah. So, Sergey Bubko, this clip is uh, the Russian pole vaulter. And what do you call Bubbins? Uh, and your nickname is Bubs or Bubsy or Bubba. Then, you know, there's someone that is well known at the time called Bubka. Some funny buggers called me Bubka in school. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, I didn't cry. I just, I just hit him. Um, <laughs> this is Sergei Bubka, the one. Russian pole vaulter. He's and, and one of those those athletes who absolutely defined his sport and for a long time as well. So just watch the clip. Bubka, the world champion from Helsinki last year, has no fear. Holds the five meter twenty pole right at the very top, and that is something that most vaulters just cannot do. First attempt, then, at new world figures. Yes! A new world record in the pole vault. 19 feet, four and a quarter. That was magnificent. Just phenomenal. Seventh in the European I mean, Junior Championships again, in 1981. When you see it up close, it's, it's hard to believe that a human being is doing that. What I found interesting, I was wondering why they were going up in like one centimetre at a time. Yeah. So he, he would do like, he would do like, you know, you've got, it'll be 61 centimetres, next one's 62, 63. And I Googled it and I think he was getting um, his sponsor, his shoe sponsor. Yeah. Paid him 30,000 every time he broke the world record. So rather than break it once by five centimetres, he could break it five times and make 150K, you know, so that he, he went up one centimetre at a time. But just a phenomenal athlete and always came across as a bit cocky and a bit odd, which I didn't mind. I don't mind that at all in sport. That's fine. And then I mentioned I was doing this clip this week and I was going to do Sergey Bubka, um, the pole vaulter. And Steph just dropped this. No, well, tell, tell us, well, just tell us a Sergey Bubka story. Cause it, it's, and like, you need to, we always say, listen to watch the clips uh, and read the books. Yeah. You need to put this photograph on yeah. Steph, because it is hilarious. <laughs> the, so, photo, the photo well, needs over, to go on Twitter. I'll, over I'll to stick you, it over up. Over to you, Steph. Over to you. So, 2012 Olympics, spent mm. 
three weeks covering sport. Nice. Brilliant. Best time ever. On the way into the Olympic Stadium, uh, I think it was the final day of the athletics, walking in and spotted Bubka. He's walking along. Uh, me and my friend Gareth, who presents the rugby on uh, S4C, um, spotted him and I said, oh, I love Sergei Bubka. Really love to go over and say hello to him. He went, I love Sergei Bubka as well. Let's, let's go over there and say hello. So he plucked up a bit of courage, wandered across to say hello. We got all these bags with us because we got all our recording equipment and just introduced ourselves. He was pretty aloof, pretty not not that happy to have met us. Um, and I said, oh, you know, is there any chance we could get photos with you? And he said, one of you. Went, well, <laughs> what a thing to say. He said, one of you. One of you can have a photo with we me. We should start saying that after the, oh, after the live kicks. Yeah. One of you. I went, oh. One of you. Bit, one of you. A bit weird. One, not one you. Of me, me and my wife, please, Al. One of you. One of you. <laughs> not you. I don't care which one. Just one of you. <laughs> I was like, I'm older than you. I've I've watched you know I've watched him for years. And he stood yeah. there involved in this conversation, but staring yeah. you know at us, watching you horse trade. And who's going to get the <laughs> yeah? Basically, and Gareth eventually <laughs> just goes, "Oh look, you seem to give more of a crap about this conversation than I do. Just have your photo." So I gave him my phone. And I stood there and posed beautifully for the photo. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've seen the photo. <laughs> and then, so I was, I was quite chuffed about this. Mm. And then Sergei has disappeared. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him. He's disappeared off. And, keep uh, in touch though, yeah. Gareth looks at his phone and just starts wetting himself laughing. And I was like, what? What? What was so funny? What's so funny? And I've pulled, you know, I, what I think is that I've met a hero of mine face. Yeah. yeah. And Sergei Booker has got bored of waiting and has started to walk off. <laughs> before the photo has been taken. So all you have is me looking like I'm stood next to a man at a burger van who's walking past me. It looks like, because he's in profile as well, and he's put a a little bit of size on since he stopped competing. Do you look like you're a a young man at the Olympics who's happy to be there, sat sat in the stadium, and as your mate's taking a photograph, some old Russian blokes walk past you? (laughs) But then he went down on estimation after that, because we've talked about this before. When you meet your heroes... And they're nice. Like when Al was so chuffed that you'd met Cliff Jones, and you said, "Oh, he was an absolute gentleman," and that made Alice's day. Yeah. When I when I love people, and I, and I and that I meet people who've met them, or I've been lucky enough to meet them myself, when they exceed your expectations, or even if they meet your expectations, it's 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 like a double whammy. But then the, yeah, I think yeah. the reverse is true. Like so, if now I always loved Sergio Bub because always, like, the bub, the bub thing, right? I now think he's a bit of a dick. Yeah. I wonder if he'd had a bad day. If I just wonder if he then wet himself when he got into the stadium and started talking to his colleagues from Russian telly. Yeah. Or Ukrainian telly, whatever he's working for, and just went, never guess what I did to these two Welsh idiots outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of you, and one of them did. I wasn't even just standing there for the photo, just walked off. Yeah, just walked off at the end. Brilliant. Loved it's it. Just a, but what an athlete, mate. And, and it's one of those sports... Obviously, in the old days, there would have been a bamboo pole they used, and these days it's all carbon fibre. But I mean, uh, who invented that though? Because uh, well, I was I playing see, these clips over the breakfast table, and my eldest son started. What are they doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I should do a whole bit of stand-up, which I'm not going to spunk on here, like I usually do. But um, it, it's obviously all martial, it's all militaristic. So this would have been a, a way that you got over a high wall, obviously. You know, run up with a pole and uh, jump okay. over the top of it. I thought of that. You know. Um, and it's evolved, obviously. Uh, I'd want but, at least five or six more guys going over the wall at the same time as me, though. If I've nailed it, if I'm Sergei, oh. 
and everyone else isn't as good as yeah. me at pole vaulting over walls, and I'm now behind enemy lines. Realise you for, re- realize you've forgotten your gun on the other side. <laughs> oh, shit. I would have had to be in fear of my own life to take part in the first place, because I, I would be... I've got no... Like, if, if war was declared tomorrow, I'd be fucking chained to the bar somewhere. I wouldn't... Be, I've, I'm not going to fight anybody. No one's asking you to, Mike. No, well, I'm just saying, I'm probably over the age of subscription now, to be honest, anyway, but... um. Conscription, not subscription. Subscription. Get yeah. a monthly I'll, war I'll, delivered. I'll buy the, the magazine, mate, but I'm not getting shot. <laughs> I'll build a little model on a month-by-month basis with superglue, but I am not shooting anybody. You worked out how much those things cost. You sit down and work it out. Build the Millennium Falcon. First part, just one ninety-nine. Think, right? Completing five hundred parts. Regular price five ninety-nine. Yeah. After the who the fuck's been three grand for a plastic Millennium Falcon? <laughs> And you know for a fact they're not making that magazine after three issues. Yeah. You don't realise... I, I don't want to get sued by that company, by the way. I don't know who makes them. It could, it could be any of the Star Wars um, yeah. things. You, yeah. you don't realise how... Rid- check the X-Wing, at-at. How ridiculous <laughs> the pole vault as Side a discipline fighter. is until you see it in slow motion. Death Star, that costs loads. Sorry, are we talking about Death Star? Yeah, sorry. We're talking about Star Wars. You don't realise how, how ridiculous the pole vault is as an event until you see it in slow motion when you realise yes. physically what they're doing. Well, this is the thing. Like, I I coached and taught a lot of athletics but at, at like a school kid level, right? And, and obviously you don't do the pole vault. Like you, you, you join your local athletic club and do that sort of stuff, right? Yes. I'm not gonna. That's not what. That's not one to try out with year eight. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? What Especially given your shot put record. Right, which of you kids is thick or brave? <laughs> <laughs> right, Gwilym, come here. I don't want to, sir. Never mind. You don't want to get here. I don't want to pay tax, but I've got to get on here. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones. How do you get to that? We talked about with ski jump before, didn't we? I mean, that's another yeah. one that just the stages to get to that must be quite crazy because when you watch pole vault on it that bar is completely bent and they're upside down and you're heading 16 feet into the air well his record his his record your head is heading down his record is 20 feet almost it's 19 feet and 10 inches or something 20 feet i know i know that's like the if if you're sat on the ground floor of your house he's going over your bedroom ceiling on a little pole also why at Athletics clubs for young kids and teenage kids. You, you, you know, you'll do all of the running ones, you know, two hundred meter, etc. But you'll do the discus, you'll do the shot put, long jump. Yeah, I've never known anyone. What are we doing tonight, coach? The running all ones. the running ones. Running but I've never known anyone. Not much to say, lads. Get your pumps on, <laughs> running ones. Have you done this before, Alice? Yeah. <laughs> but I've never I'm known a qualified British running coach, actually. So. <laughs> but I've never known anyone to have even tried the pole vault. I think the year before I did, uh, my teacher trainer in Exeter had we were doing a, a, a javelin lesson about how to teach javelin to kids properly, right? And you got to when you're collecting the javelin, you walk up to the side of the javelin, you you, you grab the other end, the non-pointy right. end, grab it, and then you you sort yeah. of walk it upright. And then you carry it back upright, right? You okay. never jogged. You never jogged to pick up a javelin, right? She so said, "Cause some some bloke had jogged to pick up oh. a, a, thro- a thrown javelin." Oh dear! Yeah, and he'd slipped, and it had gone through his yes. eye. Oh, ah. gosh! Yeah, and there's no happy ending to this. He, he was dead. Uh, you know. So if you're going to pick up a javelin, <laughs> oh. oh, pick it up on the side, Good. and don't run. Goodness me. <laughs> 
I mean, I'd love to. There'd be a twist in that story that he recovered. <laughs> he was just known as like a you know, old one eye or something. But real life, isn't it? Yeah, it's real life. Uh, my clip for this round is uh, from 2016 Olympic Games. Uh, this is the gold medal uh, match: Great Britain against Netherlands uh, in the hockey final. So, this was uh, kind of primetime TV in the UK because it was sort of late afternoon, early afternoon, evening in, uh, in uh, Rio. And 10 million people watched this happen. It was re- I rem- was reminded of it by uh, when we watched the NASL documentary the other day, the penalty shootouts that they had in that. Yeah. Which is you know, yeah, very yeah. reminiscent of... Hockey penalty shootouts, and when Mike mentioned not being able to remember any hockey players' names, and I thought it's only mm. four years since this happened, and yet a lot of that has completely disappeared from the national consciousness. And I find yeah. it amazing that these amazing moments can happen and then completely disappear from people's minds in such a short space of time. That's one of the special things about the Olympics, I think, is that you can really invest in a set of players or a group of players playing a sport that you might not be particularly interested in. But that yeah. team were a very likeable team. Kate Richardson, Walsh and Sam Quek and the rest of them. So they came across brilliantly on the telly. So you found that you were really rooting for, for a team in a in a sport, you know, hockey, I wouldn't say is a major, it's certainly not a major TV sport in, in the UK. But I loved that side. But it's like, it's like event watching with the Olympics, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, you could draw an analogy with comedy where there'll be people who watch uh, you know, Live at the Apollo that have never been to see a comedy gig. Yeah, yeah. Right? Let so, go, Mike, let go. They're <laughs> not going to book you. I just wanted to book me anyway. I've got it all sorted. So I think people watch stuff on the Olympics and it's a, it, you buy into the whole Olympics thing. And it doesn't matter if yes. it's... But then after that sort of two weeks is over with, you just get on with your life. Yeah. And there are sports, like we, I mentioned earlier on in a pod, there are sports that I'm amazed don't keep that going. Like, yeah. Because I think gymnastics is a brilliant watch. But yeah, I, I remember the time watching that hockey and it was... I like the penalty shootout because it feels like the chances of scoring is lower, Yeah. therefore the pressure yeah. feels well, less it, in a way. A lot more, and the, th- the same with NASL shootout, and I think well, they should really look at it, FIFA should look at it. Because... In a game of football, you might have 15 shots on target and score a goal or two goals. You know, you're yeah. not scoring all the time. Whereas it's flipped in a penalty shootout in football. So, you know, you, t- you tend to miss around one in six. So five out of six you score. And so- in football, the onus is on the penalty taker to score. Yeah. yeah not on miss, the goalkeeper to, to, to make a save. Yeah. Whereas it was the complete opposite the, in the hockey. The expectation is that you're going to score, yeah. It's almost crueler. Like if you think of like um, you think about a penalty Chris, shootout. Chris Waddles to a Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pierce is the one that springs to mind, right? So you think about Pierce. He's, he's remembered for missing that penalty, right? And I think it's that isn't the game. Yes, like, yes. Pierce, Pierce was, yeah. was a great player, and but he's remembered for that. And I think when you when you bring in a thing like a thirty-five meter one-on-one, they do it in hockey, they do it in ice hockey. They have tried it obviously yeah. in, in the NASL. You remember the goal scorers. Because it's, yes. because you want you want to win a shootout five each you want to win two one or one nil 
Yeah. You don't want to you, do, you don't want to win it five four and some poor sods missed the one kick. Well, Baggio missing in the final of yeah yeah you were saying ninety four, the yeah. world's best player probably at the time. Yeah. Apart from yeah. Mario, maybe world's worst haircut as well. Remember? World's yeah, world's oddest haircut, world's well, yeah, worst penalty, strange. world's best player. Yeah, but that's so that's weird with the hockey because there's nothing. We said about the Sean Curley one. I think it was eighty four or eighty eight. Eighty eight. Yeah, I haven't seen a game of hockey since then. A men's game, and then that women's hockey was big for two weeks, and then it hasn't really yeah. done much since then. And with hockey, I think what helps with hockey is that the rhythms are very similar to football. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, it I had a girl- take long to get into. I had a girlfriend at university who played sure hockey. No, you didn't. <laughs> Come on, Al. <laughs> <laughs> we do doing sure it. Enough. And we did it. We did it. Look, <laughs> always did. doing we it. Must, couldn't stop doing it, could you? <laughs> Just Never doing it. any lectures. Mainly, Absolute yeah, yeah. Poster yeah. boy um, for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to go watch her play hockey when we weren't doing it, and uh, you, you, you're in that phase of the relationship, are you? When you have to pretend you cared about each other's interests. Well, it's another one of those sports where the ball is far too hard. Yes. No, oh, it is as well. My sister played good hockey. She, I think, she was well schooled. My sister, but she got a, a hockey ball in the eye once. Oh my oh. god! The flipping black eye. It was massive. I mean, it was the size of a hockey yeah. ball. Because that ball is uncompromisingly hard, isn't it? Play with a tennis ball. <laughs> Come on! Why Most not? games can be played with a tennis ball. Yeah, cricket would be better with a tennis ball. Yes. Hockey. Oh, can you imagine? Got golf. Golf. <laughs> <laughs> Snooker. <laughs> Snooker. Anything which is too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Basketball's a piece of piss these days. <laughs> Get it in every time. Oh, Rug- rugby union. I mean, the rugby ball's a stupid shape. Just use a it's tennis ball. Badminton. Yeah. Do you know what? The All Blacks used to. <laughs> the All Blacks used to train with a tennis ball pre season in grid. They're doing the grid work. Yeah. Doing those little 10 metre grids and crossovers and stuff with a tennis ball. Yeah. So that, and then when they brought the the real size rugby ball in after sort of three weeks, they said it was like catching a beach ball. It was so easy because you've been focused in so much on catching a small little tennis ball. Yeah. When you bring a rugby ball back into it, it's called differentiation by resource. If you're a PE teacher, D times R. Oh, it's a bit like um, Marvin Hagler running in big heavy work boots because he used to refer to trainers as sissy shoes. Did he? Yeah, yeah. So then, presumably, when he was wearing oh, nice, like boxing, um, boxing boots for his fights, he must have felt like he very liked on his feet because he'd been running around in eighteen eyelet DMs or something. Or like a bin bag over your top in the old days when you go for running. Yeah, my dad 80s. used to do that. What a stupid thing yeah. to do. Yeah, my dad used to do that to lose bag. weight. Stick yeah. a bin bag yeah. on under all his All you do is lose. All you do is lose. <laughs> lose, you lose water. Sweat yeah. and then drink a gallon yeah. of water yeah. when you get back. <laughs> Hilarious, but the noise that someone running with a bin bag on is <laughs> oh, hilarious. No. <laughs> so you're not, making, you're not trying thing. to make welterweight to fight against Ricky. What a time to be alive! What are you doing? I was in college with a boy who was a boxer, and he'd been in the Marines and that as well. And he was telling me that to make a weight, because he was he was one of the lighter weights. I think he was a lightweight, flyweight. He would often skip in a like a subsuit. You know the zip up subsuits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In oh, a yeah. sauna. Yeah, he'd go in a sauna and skip for like. 40 minutes he said oh. so if it was a if it was a big fight and he was just overweight you might you might sleep you might put a substitute on and have a sleep in there for like three or four hours sweat it all out it can be if you if you're dehydrated though it could be really it could be really well, dangerous it's incredibly dangerous 
It's ridiculous. Well, I went to the Kessler Kessler Calzaghi weigh-in. Yeah. And um, Kessler came out, and he was just over the over the limit. Very. He got his uh, shorts off, didn't he? He took his so pants came off. Out, yeah, he came yeah. out completely nude for the, for the end yeah. of the weigh-in. They, they put like a towel around him, and he took his took his wife friends off, and he he was he was right on it. Just get rid of the weight categories, isn't it? Just find who's the hardest, the actual hardest bloke. Yeah. Who's the best one? <laughs> yeah, that's real life then, isn't it? If it was caveman days and you were going to come and try and, you know, rob my food stores for the winter, I wouldn't be saying, well, how much you weigh, mate? No, it's, you're, too, you're too light. Sorry. You can't rob from so, me. You can't try Gary down the road. He's so, your size. Exactly. <laughs> I think it should be, uh, get rid of the weight categories and let's just get it on. But all in the ring at the same time. <laughs> like those, oh, my, have you seen those Russians? I'm going to pick that clip one day. Oh, yeah. Team fighting the same, oh. all the rage now. Yes. Five-a-side team scraps. Who be on your team? Like going to have five people. Yeah. That, that we know you. or living or dead or what? Uh, famous. I mean, dead would be a disadvantage. I mean, I've got to pick myself. I don't think I'm You've one of the top fight. five hardest men in the world. No, no. <laughs> I mean, ideally, not, ideally I'd be watching. Ideally I'm watching. I'm coaching. <laughs> I would have hmm, Tyson Fury. Nice. Yeah, I'd have chosen him. Klitschko, because he's a... He's a He's huge and got a massive reach. Yeah. Then I'd have someone like Eddie Hall. Nice. Good luck knocking him out. Got a 24-inch neck of he's got. I dropped down a weight, a couple of weights then. Okay. I'd have somebody, someone with a bit of endurance to mop up. You know what I mean? Mayweather. So, oh, yes. Just not Conor McGregor. In. Or, nah, De La Hoya. Nice. He's got that sort of, yeah, maybe Oscar De La Hoya. A bit past it now, but that's fine. He's, he's a wily old cat. He knows his score. Nice. You'll, you'll pick that. and choose. Yeah, I think all that. else thinking? Who are you thinking of? Ross Kemp, Steve nice. McFadden. Love it. Oh, God. It's Going for the family strong. links is good. Yeah. Bradley Walsh. Uh, <laughs> Joe Pasquale. And, um, Billy Mitchell. Job done. And, yeah. Joe Pasquale. <laughs> <laughs> all the tough guys. <laughs> all the big ones. And who would you take on if I could handpick my opposition? What people you want fun. to beat up? Oh man, I could pick a few in there. Such a different. Be a couple list. of critics and be at least one comic, at least one critic, <laughs> um, at least one ex-teacher. Teacher of yours or colleague? Uh, teacher of mine. Uh, just, I'm just saying, I'd like to beat him up. Well, <laughs> you would like to. Be- to beat him up, you'd like five of the best boxers in on the planet to beat him up. It feels like overkill. Yeah, if you're, if you're not just, taking on just other send boxers, him, send, send him an email, Mike. Get it off your chest. He's, Get in touch. He's, it's good to do. He's in his eighties, so it seems hard <laughs> thinking about it. Tyson Fury fucking smashing an eighty-two-year-old. Why are you doing this to me? You Shepton mallet pig. <laughs> Documentary time. Uh, Ellis, it is your turn for this week. When it comes to choosing documentaries, my only real aim nowadays isn't to engage the listener or to educate the listener. It's to please Mike Bubbins. And I think I've got quite a good handle on what Mike wants. So what Mike likes, he likes sports people who are drunk. He likes sports people who are flawed. Um, and he also likes watching old teammates getting together and chatting mm. about the old days. And I think that this 
documentary ticks all of those boxes. It's Howard's way about that great Everton team in the mid-80s. There's something unique about Everton. The history grabs you. And once it grabs you, it never leaves you. Everton brought the cup back to Merseyside. And a victory for Everton. Disaster for Everton. I can't see where this is going to change. Ian Rush, can he score his fourth? Yes! We'd had many occasions like that where we'd let ourselves down. Ard Kendall was introduced as Everton's new manager. And I have been appointed today to bring success to Everton Football Club. So his positive influence actually changed the way we played. Howard Kendall was tactically so aware. I had to run through a brick wall for him. That's what wins you league titles. Come on, bros. Not the light at the end of the tunnel. Once you walk down that tunnel, it was like nothing else mattered. You were going in as a gladiator. It's settled now! The FA Cup, 1984. It's just a sea of blue. Fans banging on the bus going, and I've never heard anything or seen scenes like it. These guys have been waiting years. That was mind-blowing. It's great to be in a side where you're consistently winning, winning, winning. It's the ultimate. You are champions of England. When I think of Everton, I think of Howard Kendall. What a fantastic side under Howard Kendall. And they'd been in Liverpool's shadow for so long, obviously. And when I was at primary school in the in the mid-80s, there were an awful lot of Everton fans because of this Everton team. And the thing with Everton is I think people forget now, because they haven't won anything since the 1995 FA Cup, people forget that they're a huge club and tremendously successful club, historically. But this was their last great era. But I just loved the players involved. I mean, I mean, we've discussed Peter Reid on this podcast before, but he comes across so well yes. in this. And he was a, he was a cracking oh, player, just. Peter Reid. But, you know... <laughs> It's his first ever training session. It's his dream to sign for Everton. So he's delighted. So he goes on the piss to celebrate. So he has a pint of lager. Then he has a bottle of red wine. Then he has some brandies. So Brandy. the morning after, he has some po- <laughs> he has some polo mints. Choose uh, a garlic. Yes, some po- a garlic coat. <laughs> then has to play a game of five a side and do a sprint session. Obviously, he comes across terribly. Um goes and apologises to Howard Kendall and he says, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm delighted to be a Goodison, so I went out on the piss last night to celebrate and Howard Kendall says, do you like a drink, do you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, but it'll never happen again. He goes, if you like a drink, you've got a good chance of doing well here. And that just says it all about that Everton team. Apart from Neville Southall, obviously, who's who's always been teetotal, used to celebrate by drinking cups of tea. But it's a great, it's a great watch. And also, I think it's probably my favourite era of football ever, the mid-80s. I think if I could play in any era... It would be the mid eighties. Well, you mentioned about ticking the boxes, Al. I mean, it's also it ticked all those boxes with a plum. It's also got a wonderful soundtrack. Yes, the soundtrack yes, of it yes. is, is is fabulous. It's, it's all those eighties songs by bands that you might have forgotten about. It's not, it's not the obvious big hits from the eighties. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'm, I'm the same as you, but and, but I always get slightly nostalgic with these things because I think those days aren't coming back. There's always a bit of me that would love those days to come back, but in realist in in all reality, thinks that's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit there when they're going down to the um, the cup final, 
and there's and the bloke's recalling the story, and then they've actually found footage of what he's talking about. <laughs> Is that like a removals van with like a roller shutter on the back? <laughs> And they've just got like a three-piece suite in the back of this removals van. Yeah. And there's Liverpool and Everton fans sat on the back just on the piss, waving yeah, the cars. Yeah. They're going, like the, drive into. I love all the old players in it. I love how we talked last pod about um, when you're really, really good at something, like Campesi, just look like, yeah, well, I'm supposed to score amazing tries, right? And Neville Southall, they show one of his saves there. Yeah. And everyone's waxing lyrical about this fantastic save. And, and, and Neville goes, yeah, but I expect to save those. You know, yeah. You're amazed by that, but that's what I, 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 you know, to him it's not. And they show this save later on, and it's it's really well cut that part of the documentary. And everyone's talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. I guess and Neville he just sort of shrugs his shoulders, doesn't say anything, just goes, yeah, yeah, crazy. And he was the world's yeah. best goalkeeper. And there's well, a lot you said of- that before, and I, and I and I I thought that was you using a bit of uh, pro Welsh hyperbole. But yeah, it's hard, hard to argue with that when you watch that video. All the sort of uh, all the preconceptions you have of goalies being slightly weird and slightly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've never met Neville Southall. I'd love to meet him. He seems like a proper character. Yeah, yeah. But he is different. Yes. He's a different different gravy completely, didn't he? Yes. I've I've met a lot of Everton fans, and I'm very fond of Everton Football Club and Everton fans mm. because they are slightly in the shadow of Liverpool. You know, you can't really oh, deny yeah, yeah. that. But. Liverpool is a football man city with two huge clubs. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a global brand, Everton. Yeah. But if you do support Everton, then I think it sets you apart. In terms of your personalities, it is slightly different. Yeah. But it just means so much to the supporters. So when they get to the 84 Cup final mm. and the, the, the coach is driving down Wembley Way and people are beside themselves with joy and also because of terracing and the layout of football grounds was was so different in the mid-80s the reason it's my favourite period of football is that when Travis Stevens scores that goal against Bayern Munich in the European Cup and his Cup semi-final second leg at Goodison he says I'm bearing down on the Gladys Street end and they're already surging forward because they know I've got a good chance of scoring and when when he puts the ball in the back of the net they go absolutely Ballistic. Yeah. Can you imagine playing in front of that? Well, they all say, all those old players got together and said that was, if they could take one game to the grave, oh, yeah. it would be that. And I, I properly filled up when I said that. Yeah, me too. They, they, they started off saying about the crowd and he said, there's 55,000 there, I bet 50,000, if they took one game to the grave, it would be that game. I think Andy Gray says, and me. Yeah, yeah thought, Peter oh, Reid says, and me. Yeah, and they all put their hands oh. up. But the mid-80s was the last great year of the pitch invasion. So whenever Everton scored at Wembley, oh, mate, the fans get on the pitch. I want my streakers to be wearing a suit and tie. Yes. Like, From now on. Change of policy. How good was that? Oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit there where I love that. God, I tell you, they all came across well in that, mate. Andy Andy Gray came across so well in that video. He did, right? didn't he? Yeah. Oh, amazing. And And, and he's looking... And he talks about that game when he... Uh, it's Bayern Munich, yeah, the semi-final. And he said, you know, there probably would have been... It wouldn't have happened in the modern day. And he says a beautiful quote, which yes, just sums up this. He says, well, it wasn't the modern day. That was my day. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my yeah. God, I want that on my gravestone, man. That is... How good is that? And, and I could just... <laughs> and when, when they get together, when they go back to Goodison and they're, and they're talking about that game and, and their mates are having a laugh and they're taking the piss of each other... Yeah, you you bang on, Al. That was bloody 
heaven to watch stuff like that. I love it. It's with the pitch invasions. I think it's when Everton score in the '86 Cup final. So a lot of fans get on the pitch, as you know, as per in the mid '80s. And one Everton fan does a cartwheel. I saw that. <laughs> He's probably. I thought you'd do a forward roll next. How lame <laughs> He's was it? Probably, yeah. And then employed plaster or something. But he does this cartwheel. Oh, it's just nice. hilarious. And when Graham Sharp scores an incredible volley at Anfield for Everton in the derby, oh, and yeah. all the Everton fans come on the pitch, mm. and Motson goes, and the Everton fans inside Anfield go berserk! And there's that guy, and he's wearing that terrible mid-80s anorak, and they found him. And yes, with his hands like this, the windmill yeah, man. Yeah, the windmill yeah. man. And he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. That's all he knows is that yeah. he is elated, he and he doesn't yeah. know how, how to express his How can his I elation. express this elation? <laughs> Through, through doing this podcast and through, and through getting properly back into sport again, more so than I've been for for a long time, I was saying to my missus the other day, I said, I'd love to get and do a bit of, bit of coaching again, maybe go back into rugby coaching or whatever. And she said, well, yeah, but, you, you know, if you want to do that, do that. But, you know, where would you start off? And I do my kids rugby, but, I mean, I wouldn't mind having a proper go at, if I had more time, maybe doing some adult coaching. And I, the game's moved on uh, tactically, so I'd have, to, I'd have to read about that, right? But I said, it's about man management. It's about man management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's what yes. great management. I'm not saying I'd be a great manager, but what I've always been good at in a changing room is is talking to people, get find out what make, makes people tick. And I think if you if you, you know if you're a comedian, you, you, there's a, there's a bit of that in you as well that you know working out audiences and, and and things. But I think I'd be good in that in that situation with with a, with a bunch of blokes who wanted to play, right? I'm, I'm not saying I'd be, that, I'd be the standard of these boys, but but I just think when you watch the really really good managers, it isn't tactical. It's no. it's all about how they can manage that group of players. And there's a bit where um, he says Andy Gray says to him, "Was it Andy Gray or Peter Reid that says it's when he's talking to Howard about about, about something?" And then on a chat, and he goes, I, "And I, I knew then I'd, I'd run for a wall." Yeah, him. yeah. But he obviously meant so much yeah, to all yeah. his players. You know, he was mu- you become much more than just the boss of a football team. Yeah, to those boys, right? And I just thought, God, that's power. That's so powerful. And when he and he was up there doing the bit, and he filled up when he's talking about him, I thought, what a thing! What a and that and that is sport. And it doesn't matter if it's hockey, football, no. rugby, rugby league, bloody whatever it is, right? Yeah. It's the humour story, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I think that comes across brilliantly in this documentary. I think that's what they really nail. Is mm. that it was it was actually I think the first choice we did of documentary on this podcast, um, home and away, following the Liverpool fans yeah. and the Everton fans going down yeah. for that first Milk Cup final eighty four, which is the first sign that Everton are on their way, really. Because obviously they they'd had a, a terrible early eighties. So they've reached the Milk Cup final, the League Cup final, and they're playing Liverpool. It's the first all Merseyside final at Wembley. And there's that amazing footage of that unemployed bloke in the pub. And he says, This, but this is ours. You know, I've got nothing mm. home. I've got a job. I don't got any money. Mm. But I've got a ticket for this. And, you know, I'm friends with Reds and I'm friends with Blues, but this is our day. And you think, Well, that that mm. is sport in a n- nutshell. Because it, the reason it's important is because it matters like that to people. Yeah. I think this documentary does a really, really good job of that. There's another one which I could have chosen called Two Tribes, which covers Liverpool at the same time. Yeah. Because you have the story of Liverpool is in the 80s is the story of enormous unemployment, 
fantastic yeah. music scene and two superb football sites. Yeah. But I always think Everton get overshadowed a little bit, so I wanted to I wanted to give Everton the, the credit they deserve. Because I think it's a cracking doc. I don't think anybody younger than us would recognise that as being one of the great English football teams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it should have been. It should have been Well they were going for the double legacy. twice. Well so they went for the double they were within two games of doing you know, the, uh, the double the year after. They win the league then the following year in 87. And you just think, OK, if you were in the European Cup, if the English teams hadn't been banned or if the government hadn't accepted that ban or decided that that ban was the way forward, whichever way you want to view it, then that Everton team would probably be mentioned alongside, you know, Wenger's Arsenal, Ferguson's um, United side, the Liverpool side... When you look at English clubs, they win it every year between 77 and 84, apart from 83 when Hamburg won it. So it was like, if it wasn't Liverpool, it was Forest or Villa. So English clubs absolutely dominated in Europe. You're watching a sports talk and there's Derek Hatton and there's Neil Kinnock and, and there's Elle mentioned like clips of the job centre and stuff. You can't talk about those teams, Everton and Liverpool, and Everton especially in this doc, without mentioning Liverpool at that time or, yeah. or politics at that time. It was, it was intrinsic to it completely. And I think there's a bit where, where Pat Vandenhau, when, when the, the band comes down, and Vandenhau just says, I can't talk about it. Yeah. And they ask him, he goes, I don't want to talk about it. And you can see it's, it's completely raw. And I think, and you, and you mentioned it, you touched on it then, Steph, when you said not just the fact that Europe handed that band down, but the government just rolled over and took it, right? I, 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 I'm not going to get political about it, right? I'm, there's good and bad on both sides. But there's Thatcher... Obviously hated Liverpool and what they were trying to do there and, and hated, uh, you know, there was a big problem with the unions and with everybody else. and uh, So I think a big part of that was her and her government. Just, it suited her completely to shut down Liverpool as, as a place. Yeah. Uh, those, those two teams. She wouldn't have yeah. lost a, a wink of sleep over that. Well, there was talk of um, putting Liverpool into managed decline. Wasn't it? That was yeah, a phrase yeah. that um, that government used. And you got the fan there, the young, the young lad. I don't really know why he's on there, but um, the, it's the it's the only sort of. I like to look at weaknesses in docs. I don't know why the skinny lad with the glasses is on there. That, that was exactly what I thought, and then I thought it's better for him being in there. I didn't know why he was there from the start, but he's got to be there for so long. I, I don't know if he's like yeah. the, the filmmaker's uncle or something, or his nephew or something. He's in, he's in there a lot. I mean, for a bloke who's basically just a skinny bloke in glasses who likes Everton. He's in there an awful lot in that documentary, right? That's the only downside of it. So, so you like reckon if you're Kevin Ratcliffe and you're sat at home going, could have yeah. had more of me on that? <laughs> yeah. Ratcliffe's thinking, what's on the cutting room floor to put this bloke in again? You've put the bit where I say you the room's mean? freezing in. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but he just says, and he, he, he nails it when he just says, it just wasn't fair. He said, yeah, that wasn't yeah. us. And then, and then you talk to Big Neville's there and he's saying, you can't play Liverpool Football Club for it. No. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Liverpool's fault. Yeah. Said Heisler, that was know, one of the most police, erodite things. He was like, it's the, the policing was crap. Yeah. The marshalling was rubbish. The ground the is a mess. Was poor. As well. Yes, yeah. Heisler itself was a really poor. They team. should never, ever, ever have played a football match there. Yeah, you look at the the following Champions League, however you want to look at it, and you know, they would have done really decently well. Isn't that the year Steyr Bucharest won it? It is, yeah. But Bayern, who they've, who Everton have beaten in the Cup Winners' Cup, get to the quarterfinals of it. And 
Anderlecht, who were the team who they were supposed to play against uh, in the first round. Ever they've been drawn against Anderlecht in the first round, and Anderlecht get a walkover because Everton are banned. They oh. get all the way to the semi-finals. And they were never in that final. Says so he talks about the semi being a big game. Yeah. He said, because in the final... Oh, yeah, 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 that's rubbish. funny. The Cup Winners' Cup they final. It's just like, they were rubbish. Yeah. We were always going to win but that. But you watch the, the trophy presentation as well. just looked that, like it was like a like a pasting table. Yeah. That is part... Right, so the two trophy celebrations that they show... Well, actually, you know, even the FA Cup one that they show, I don't know whether Rats wasn't very good at showing off or whether mm. they're just... All three of those are so underwhelming that the I European think that contributes to them not being given the credit as a side because you haven't got these moments. The league no, trophy looks point. rubbish, for starters. Yeah, yeah. The, that's a crap trophy. The cup well, winners' the, cup, they're all in a circle. with a sponsor's name on it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The cannon, fuck off. You know, sponsor it by all means, but don't put your name on the trophy. Yeah, the cup winners' cup, they're all just in a circle and Rats kind of lifts it and you can't see him or the trophy. And the FA yeah. Cup, he just sort of apologetically raises it and walks down the steps. Yeah. And you say, come on, Kev. Market yourself, boy. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> You wouldn't have had to spend 10 years of your career sat next to me. <laughs> you can't have the... Ma- like when Liverpool won the league, you can't have the huge firework displays and the pyrotechnics and the lights and, the- and everything else and the laser shows. Yeah. You can't have all that unless you take everything else that comes with it, right? Yes. So part of the fact that it was a crap, you know, presentation ceremony, but it's the same reason that you got all the boys on the bus. You got all the boys flying economy. Yeah, yeah. You got all the lads sat in a bath drinking champagne from the one bottle. Yes. You know, you got Howard Kendall taking the players out for a Chinese to talk about tennis. Oh, yeah, I love that. Right? An afternoon I Chinese. Oh, I love it. An, An afternoon, afternoon Chinese, Chinese. With Howard Kendall. <laughs> if I could go back to football being like that, and the trade-off was that the medal the trophy ceremony was, was rubbish. Was yeah. crap. I'll take that seven days a week. Yeah. A lot of, uh, lot of Welsh involvement in the documentary. Kevin Ratcliffe, never Southall, Pat Van Den Howard, mm. played for Wales. Um, Kevin... Sheedy was a tremendous player. He's got a very Welsh accent, but obviously played for Ireland. What's Van den Howe? Where, where was, was born Van den in Belgium? Was Welsh because he was born in Belgium. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So he seems, seems perfectly plausible when you put it that way. He was brought up. What in an London. intense man, still. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I wouldn't fuck with him now. Would no. you? <laughs> Psycho. Uh, Absolutely uh, not. With an amazingly gravelly voice. And Peter Reid looks more and more like Sid James, the older he gets. <laughs> Peter Reid looked old when he was a footballer in his 20s. <laughs> With the grey hair. Yeah. With the one sticking out of those. I want to pluck that one hair off the top of his head. Have <laughs> you seen it? Yes. He's got one just yes. stuck up vertically the whole way. Yes. I thought, shit, <laughs> there Who must be someone doing makeup there. I, yeah. I, um, so, oh, unless that's his lucky hair or something. I, what I did love was because Peter Reid, you know, he used, he, used, he used to like... I love him. To, to to mix it, say, on the pitch. When Adrian Heath got that awful injury. Oh, yes. And then you see a, a second later... Oh, yeah, Reed retaliates. And then the interview with Ratcliffe where he says, oh, it wasn't just that game, we used to do him every single time after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Every <laughs> time we played him, we'd have him. Every like, yes. <laughs> I felt so sorry for Adrian Heath, though. I get the phone call, you're going to be the England side, and then... Yeah, they boof. You get the it's a horrible thing. challenge. Yeah, they're both going flat out, but I don't yeah. think it was particularly vicious. It wasn't like, was it dirty? Oh, I thought look, it was. Yeah, just like yeah. unfortunate, yeah. was it? No, I think it's it's it feels deliberate. Certainly, the Everton players felt it was deliberate. But when when <laughs> Reed, Peter when Reed clatters in, the only thing I, that could have improved that would have been if he'd leant over him, keen and on Inga Harland style. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck a king prawn up his ass. <laughs> 
and said, I don't know how to eat Unshelled. Unshelled, because he hasn't got a clue how to do it himself. <laughs> yeah, I, Peter Reed's role in these Chinese meals at lunchtime wasn't, wasn't delved into at all in this documentary. I, I, I think he was eating from the English menu. <laughs> He hadn't met Laurie by this point. Yeah, he was having, he was having an omelette. An omelette, Chinese. Can I bring me... Hey, Howard, can I bring me Mick Laurie to the next yeah. one? I just think we were talking on the last podcast about how if you live in the past, it ages you, and that you should try and move with the times and stay current. Yeah. Nothing, nothing makes me happier than watching football from 1986. <laughs> if I could just do that for the rest of my life. I would love to relive the 85-86 season. Second round of clips then. Uh, Let's go with Mike, first of all, because I love this video. Yeah, this is is fabulous. I I don't think we've... We haven't discussed discussed Paralympic sport in any great depth so far, I don't think, on on the podcast. Um, Certainly when I was growing up, it just wasn't anything that existed, you know, and, and, and... and right through, I did a, I did a PE teaching degree where we we never met, very rarely mentioned. I think we did one module called adapted physical activity, okay, which was about how to adapt certain sports to to people with certain disabilities. But it was a, it was only a, a short module. It didn't really go into any great depth. Um, so, what's been really really refreshing in the last twenty odd years is. Uh, is the the credence that's paid these days to, to Paralympic sport and to and people with disability, disability sport in general, and the actual explosion in, in the Paralympics especially. I think when Channel Four do stuff well, they do things really well. And the, the, um, this was the trailer for the Paralympic Games um, in I love that, right? And, it, and it's all about looking at, all about looking at positives. There's a, there's a bit in the middle of the, of the clip which shows a car crash yeah. and a woman getting a fetal scan and, and, a, and like an IUD in, you know, in the Middle East somewhere, which really hits home about what these people and their families have been through. And just think, I mean, without meaning to sound uh, condescending in any way, to achieve at a high level in sport, an Olympic level, is, is hard enough anyways. It's incredibly, there's incredible dedication. To do that and to overcome the hands you've been dealt at the same time, Right? And whether you're born with it or whether, whether something's happened to you and you've had to deal with it, um, I think it's just an incredible testament of those people. And it, it, it's not meant to sound trite when you say this, that they're impressive people. Yeah. Right? But they are, you yeah. know. Um, and as a, and a person who taught sport for a long time and, and coached sport for a long time, I'm, I'm just, I, I couldn't be more pleased that how these people are being represented now. And, I'm, and as a dad... You know, my little boy's nearly 11 now. It, it, there was a real sea change. And I think 2012 London had a lot to do with it for me. You'll, you'll watch like CBeebies, where the kids are watching um, CBeebies or CBBC. If there's, a, if there's someone there who's in a wheelchair, who's got one arm, who's got one hand, who's got one leg, yeah. it literally, it, it doesn't, it's not even mentioned. 
Yeah. If if if, you're, if I'm asking my kids to describe which presenter they're talking about, yeah, 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 they never say the one with one arm. Yes. Which, if I was like their age, I'd say, oh, the one with one arm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're trying to explain the hair color and the eyes and stuff. Yeah. It's not. It's become completely accepted now, which is a great thing. Yeah. And completely. Um, you don't want to sound like a twat saying it, but what I mean is there's no access. And I don't mean like putting the occasional ramp in somewhere, right? Or putting no. a blue sticker on a bog door. Yeah. I mean, meaningful access yes. to things. And I played a little bit of wheelchair basketball, God, when I was a kid, when I was about 17, 18. Um, a, friend of my, a friend of my parents' son had um, cerebral palsy, and he played in a wheelchair basketball team. And I remember we played like a charity game down at the leisure centre in Barry. So they gave the rugby club had to pick a team to go down there. Well, I was 18. I was the youngest on the team. The lads were in their 20s to play this wheelchair bas- basketball game. They were nutters. I mean, it was, A, it was physically really hard. Yes. B, th- there was no sort of quarter given or asked for. And then lastly, I remember I had a free throw. And I was a strong kid, you know. I, I had a free throw on the free throw line. And I sort of bounced the ball. I didn't even reach the backboard with the ball. Because you don't realise how much yeah. this this sounds this sounds obvious. You don't realise how much you use your legs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In, in in things you don't think are leg things. Yes. So when you're shooting a basketball, yeah, it's legs and, and abs yeah, yeah. and ass. Yeah. You know, when when you haven't got that, just have that power in your upper body. And then when I was in university, there was a fellow called Mark, I used to train with, and he was he was in a wheelchair. Mark, he would he would wheel down from Pontypridd to Ewick. Which is about fifteen miles, yeah. I suppose. And uh, we, we had a couple of adapted benches there, so I would train with him now and again. And he was sort of have to strap himself onto this weights bench because he had, I mean, he had legs, but there was no feeling in his legs whatsoever. Okay, he'd strap himself into this weights bench, and he was a hell of a bench press on him, right? And then he would get in his wheelchair, and fucking wheelchair back to Pontypridd. I think attitudes, attitudes to Paralympic sport have, you know, they're, they're so far apart from where they were when it was first sort of on TV. And I remember talking, oh, yeah. you guys have both met Tanny down yeah, here, yeah, Tanny yeah. Gray Thompson doing fighting talk or, or whatever it might be. And I remember talking to Tanny probably early 2000s about the attitudes towards Paralympic sport when she started out. So she was, uh, she competed in Seoul in 88 and she had a full-time job at the time. And she said that to take time off, she, she had to go and see her boss and ask about time off, and she sat down and she said, oh, I'm doing the 800 metres for Great Britain and the Paralympics in Seoul. Um, could I have this period of time off during the summer? And her boss said, don't you think that's quite unfair? And she said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, uh, we're do, doing 800 metres, isn't, isn't it, doesn't it totally depend on how fast the guy pushing you is? And Tani... Oh, my God. Yeah, so that was the attitude in that day. Wow. Towards Paralympic sports, and probably not to mean to not, be an arsehole. I don't think just, meaning to be in any way a dick, but yeah. just had not been exposed to any wow. kind of Paralympic sport, and that's what he thought she was going to go and do was be be passive in sport rather than yeah. be the active participant in sport. Yeah, I I looked at her gold medal record because I did fight and talk there a few months ago. Yeah, I mean she is <laughs> one of the great Olympians. Just just look on her Wikipedia because it is absolutely astonishing what she achieved. She's, you know, she is one of the greatest athletes Wales has ever produced. My little nephew there, my, my sister-in-law's boy, um, 
has got cerebral palsy. And and I, I would like to think that as he gets older now, he'll have those opportunities that he, that he wouldn't have had 20 years ago. And then you put, you put your sports person's head on. It's just good to watch. You know, it's, not, it, it's really exciting to watch yes. that as well. That's the main thing, you know. For me, it is the main thing. It's become the main thing, which is good. The main thing was that people needed access. They needed to be treated with a bit of respect. They needed to be treated as equals, and that that's happened now. Yes, and now we can focus on the competition of it. You don't want to be treated differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And part of part of that is people take the piss of you, you know. And so I, I, I would probably still feel uncomfortable. Oh, I don't know that though, because we've got to make Ted Charest. Yes, out. yes. He's got cerebral palsy, um, and he, he's got a powered chair, and, and you know. But what's been nice about with me and Ted, I've always taken the piss out of Ted. Yeah. Not for being not not for being in a power chair, but for everything else. Yes. Right. For being for being a bit of a dick. Yeah. Which he is right. <laughs> which isn't. <laughs> no, no, he is a dick. Yeah. If you're listening, Ted, I think you're a dick, and he knows I think he's a dick. I've told him enough times. Yes. But going back to uh, but, no, but that should back to this. Thing, right, that shouldn't be any different. No, I've never met. And I think it's. I don't think you're a dictator. No. <laughs> well, if you met him, you'd think he was a dictator. Okay. Put it that way. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so, but the way they did this, making the Paralympians superheroes, basically. Yeah. I thought I thought that was completely the way to do it and the way to sell it. And it looks so bloody good. Like when they, that, that whole trailer, I think, I think is, a, is, a, is a cracking yeah, yeah. 90 seconds of TV. So, my clip for round number two is. <laughs> Inspired by what seems to be a widely held fear of heights oh. on this podcast. Oh. So I've gone for probably the best climber in the world, uh, Adam Ondra. Uh, and this is one of the hardest climbs he has ever done with a lot of fails along the way. For the most of the time, I was not really trying the whole route. All I was interested was the crux section. That is why I used a fixed rope to get to the start of the crux. How the hell could I use those holds to make them work? Then I had an idea, no matter how crazy and foolish it looked. Maybe I could try to climb the whole crux just feet first, hanging upside down. I invested more time into it and it did turn out to be that this could be the way. By no means easy, but at least I could see the light in the end of the tunnel. I quite like, I'd love to be good at climbing. I'm not, and I never will be. No. I, I've got a healthy sense of, it's really possible to die doing this sort of thing. And I've got a healthy sense that I'm not actually very good at climbing. But the way... Two, that's two biggies to be two, two biggies... <laughs> And, and yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just don't want yeah. to wedge my legs into stuff and my feet into stuff. And the shoes are really tight as well. It's such a difficult climb. It's easier for him to climb feet first and upside down, yes. wedging his feet into crevices for long enough that he can then swing up and get a good handhold. He then also, well, if you remember, does a piece where, if you can try to imagine this when you're listening, he used to work on his sort of hamstring strength. Yeah. Yes. Because there's a bit where he has to jam his feet in, upside down. Yeah. But his knees are at a right angle. Yeah. And he has to stay in that position for 90 seconds to make this When thing he starts, work. he can only do it for about 20. <laughs> like, he geez. trains himself to be able to hang by his feet. And, and there is zero fat on this dude. Yeah. He is just 
sinew and muscle, doesn't he? And you think if if this was in a Spider-Man film, it would be yeah. seen as slightly far-fetched. Yes. But this is yeah. just some bloke climbing in Norway. And yeah. I, because of the kind of podcast this is, I guess that he didn't die. You never know with chess clips. You never know. I can throw a curveball every now and but then, for guys. For the first seven and a half minutes, I was just watching and thinking, he's going to die. Please, please, what is Steph doing? <laughs> Do you know what? I, I usually struggle to watch these videos. Yeah. Um, but two things. One, because it's essentially in like some sort of enormous cave. Yes. Didn't seem to me to watch it as scary as when they're on, Until on a Until they pan out. Number one. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrendous then. Yeah. But secondly... The the people that I really can't watch, like I, I just literally have to watch through my hands if I watch at all. Yeah, are the free climbers the the, the blokes that he the does do yeah, that as well? But I thought that was oh, I thought well, this was a step in. in. <laughs> I thought that might he be. does that as well. I, this is an I don't entry drug like, for you. But to commit yourself to something like that, whatever it might be, and in his case, is climbing up this this one. And what's that? That whole stretch is probably 30, 40 meters. Yeah. But that he spends days trying to perfect and, but try, not you know, climbable. and trying and trying and trying. There was a guy who used to go to my gym, used to climb, and used to do parkour as well. The physique, but the physique, <laughs> the physique on this guy was like nothing else. And they used to have a, what was effectively a climbing frame in our gym, and I just used to see him on that. I never saw him lifting any weights, but it was just all body weight stuff, and well, the yeah. shape on him was insane. If you watch like the fingerboard stuff oh. that they do, where they hang off, uh, what well, literally just off a board, you think of all the pull-ups and stuff that you do on a bar, but developing your finger strength by dangling do. like that. Yeah, how, that I can't do. How can you develop yeah. finger strength? Because there's no muscles. In off. Your, but there's no muscles hanging in your fingers. There's loads of muscles in your hands. You can you can you, you can work on. Them. Yeah, you buy like a spider grip. You can do it with that. Yeah. But I mean. Just have to do it the way the way the old fashioned way, mate, by doing it and doing it and doing it and doing dangling it. off stuff. When you watch, uh, we we won't mention uh, we're not going to go too down, down the film route because we'll be doing the uh, the new podcast shortly for the, uh, oh, for the yeah. Patreon members. You mentioned positive things about Patreon, yes. Rather than well, just well, if I can, all right, then I'll go off on a tangent for a second. Oh, no. Alice quite rightly pointed quite rightly pointed out uh, yesterday or today that all I ever do is threaten people. Um, with the dire consequences of not being a patron. Yes. Member. And Al sort of said, well, maybe we should point out the positives. Well, yeah. what they as get. Because well at the moment, yeah. it's just a lot of threats. But <laughs> All stick and it's, no It's menaces really. for money. Well, go on, it doesn't suit my personality. Just tell them about the patron <laughs> stuff. It doesn't and then I'll carry suit on my with personality. So entry level, if you come in at that. Entry level, we get it. Give me £4 plus VAT. You'll get episodes that have no adverts in them, okay? That's a good start point, isn't it? You also get 10% off the live shows. And obviously of that £4, we don't get the VAT on that, obviously. No. So we get the we get the £4, we give Patreon their bit of wedge. Yeah. Of that yeah. pound a week, yeah. we're getting about 30 pence. This feels more like a meeting now. <laughs> this, this feels yeah, more this like is, I'm your... It's turned into an AGM, I'll be honest. <laughs> this feels uh, a little bit like I'm your accountant. <laughs> right, six quid. Plus fat. You're having two lattes, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for coming to the table. Uh, yeah. You will get extra content every episode. Like a director's cut? Yeah. Like a longer yeah. cut? Like no ads? And, yeah. Mike, and the discount off the live shows? And Mike doesn't yeah. deck you. That I don't deck It's a key you. point. We're keeping positive. Yeah. That is a positive. positive. It's not a negative. <laughs> Eight quid. Right. right. You get our new sideshow project. 
of Michael Owen's movie club. No, this is what I'm talking about. This, this, this is the level I'm coming in at. You're coming in here, yeah? I want the extra. Okay. I, want, I want the Michael Owen's movie club. Okay, you're getting That's Michael Owen's movie club. Mike doesn't but, deck you. But I still, I still don't deck no you. Gets it's, it's, there's still no deckings. There's no wedgies. No, one's getting it. no one gets it. <laughs> Not even a Barney Rubble at this level, okay? Uh, the 10 quid level, if you I want to... I want to say at the four pound level, mate. I'm still giving people a withering look. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. On. That's fine. Okay, that's okay. So the, the ten quid level, you, the big bucks. You get the Mike Lowen Movie Club five days ahead of the guys who are paying eight quid. And not only does Mike not deck you in a post-coronavirus yeah. situation, post-vaccine, he'll shake you by the hand. Yeah, and do you know what? Not only will I not deck you and shake you by the hand. Yeah, but like a medieval Catholic priest, he'll deck me. You could nominate someone else for me not to deck. <laughs> An indulgence. Brilliant. An indulgence, if you will. And well, you get like a little bit of wood you... that we, we are convinced was from the cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The true cross in my front yeah. garden. Bit of the Turin shroud if you yeah, pay 10 yeah. quid a month. I'll give you the finger bones of the bouncer who finger I snapped in 1997. Do you keep those in a necklace behind the bar? Great that was. I think we should be aiming higher. We should be looking at Big oh, Farmer. Why can't, we get gla- why can't we get Glaxo? Oh, yeah. Make defence industries of the way forward. Yeah. Tons of cash. Guns. Lockheed Martin. That's true. Landmines, whatever, whatever pays me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big money in landmines. Trident. Can't the Trident boys get involved? Trident. I'll do a corporate for The Sushi Distance Sports Bar is brought to you by Trident. <laughs> you bite their hand off me. I'll be some... You do an advert. You do a voiceover for that. You're not kidding me, Come pal. On. You've done littles. <laughs> The, the voice of Liddles on his high horse all of a sudden. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I sold fucking chocolate croissants to the Hungarians. They, they didn't blow up Nagasaki and Hiroshima, did they, Liddle? Nor did Trident, to be no. fair. They you, haven't had the chance yet. You can get Aldi to launch a war on someone. I don't understand. <laughs> He's talking to the big boys at Aldi. I've really missed this. They've part. got a private army. <laughs> like, like the Vatican. Yes. Yeah. Completely stopped by the middle, the middle aisle in Aldi. <laughs> Going to come at you. They're going into war with an angle grinder, a welder and a pair of Crocs, a folded aerobics mat, <laughs> a rubber mallet and some paint. <laughs> oh, magic. They don't knock it, no? Oh, if they pay my payers. mortgage, I'll be well happy. Oh, the good payers. He's saying nothing like keeping his hands close to the chest. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have nothing said against Malto croissants myself. myself. <laughs> If you've got a problem with Malta croissants, mate, take it to somebody else. <laughs> that is I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> if your kid's just broken into you, if you've just spent hundreds of pounds on Clash Royale by mistake, because your kid's rinsed your bank account to pay for gold coins. Nothing to do with Michael. Talk to somebody else, mate. <laughs> I don't care. Might be the face of it. Not responsible <laughs> legally. <laughs> they paid for my extension. They can do what they like. <laughs> legally, not my business. <laughs> You can sort that one out yourself. Be a better guys. parent. Be a better parent. Don't blame me. Right, Alice, you have the final clip for this round. I, I had the pleasure of meeting this lady. I interviewed her for Five Live um, last year. This is Jane Couch, the first British female boxer from Fleetwood near um, Blackpool. And she was a fantastic person to interview. I really, really liked her. 
I think she would say herself, she wasn't the most skillful of boxers. She fought with her heart and she just loved to fight. She just absolutely loved boxing, but had to take the British Boxing Board of Control to the High Court where they um, they fought over restraint of trade as well as sex discrimination. And I think now it's very easy to forget um, that she was seen as a freak, unfortunately. Oh, you know, yeah. there were there were there were you know, phone ins on this morning asking whether she should be allowed to box, whether it was freaky and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just really liked it. And I read her book, The Final Round, uh, where she details that legal battle um, and a lot of her most famous bouts because she was a world champion. But the thing with Jane is she was seen as a slight curiosity. So she ended up on Barrymore. Uh, and this is what happened next. So there you go. She's got that fighter's instinct. So um, it's a really funny clip. <laughs> Barry Mock clearly has got no idea what he's what he's got to deal with. Um, and as soon as she goes, wallop, she's in the ring. Crack, crack, crack. And um, she makes mincemeat to Michael Barrymore. And she hadn't seen this for years. Somebody dug it out and tweeted her. Um, she hadn't seen it since it had happened, in the since it had gone out on telly in, in the late 90s. And I'm so fond of her, and I just love this clip because I found it so funny. Yeah, because Barry, I mean, but do you know what as well? At the risk of of courting controversy, I think I think yeah, the, yeah, the weird common touch with people yeah, yeah. as a presenter that I don't I don't think he's been bettered since. Yeah, when he watched some of the old stuff that he did, so he gets on there with with Couch, and he gives her sort of playful. If you haven't seen, like a, just gives her a little dig. He's got gloves on. Yeah, big like sixteen ounce big sparring gloves. He gives her a dig in the face, and she just unleashes him. <laughs> and he's on the couch, and then he just kicks her. He's, he's like in self-defense, yeah. and he kicks out. And she, all that does is make her incensed. Yes. And then she, and she, she fires into him. I love it. So how old is she there, Al? Was she, I, I didn't realize that I knew there wasn't a lot of women's boxing around. I had no idea it was illegal. Yeah, they thought that women were too emotionally unstable to box. I mean, the British board, Boxing Board of Control is absolutely shameful the way they treated female boxers. Run by, like Victorian blokes. You read about it and you think, oh, this must be the 1890s, not the 1990s. And but the book... In the 1990s it changed. You know, Jane Couch's book is a savage read for that reason. There's a long interview she did in The Guardian, which is very easy to find. The, the, the interview came out last year, I think, to promote the book. And if, if you haven't got time to read the book, the final round, I would read the interview because she she was damaged psychologically by the fact that she had to pioneer British female boxing on her own. And people took the piss out of her. They said that she was a freak. You, you know, pe- people in the boxing fraternity were very, very cruel to her as well. People who you, who you would think better of just said, oh, it should be loud, it's disgusting, it's... It's unfeminine and all that kind of stuff. So, and the money she was saying was women, so shit. I mean, women's women's footballers after the war, obviously, were, you know, after World War One, yeah, after World War One, yeah, sorry, had the same sort of 
arguments, I'd imagine. But this is like nearly 100 years later. Yeah. Just putting up with all that. But just trying to get it included into the Olympic Games. You know, Katie Taylor had to go to New York or somewhere. I think it was New York. And do an exhibition bout in front of the IOC to convince them that it was a sport and that, you know, women's boxing should be included with it. And that was... 2012 was the first lot of women's boxing. God, what a joke. I think if she, I, you know, I think she must have looked at people like um, Nicola Adams mm. and thought, you've got no idea. Yeah. Because if you were 15 years older, you'd have had to have gone through all the shit that I went through. And if you read She's the book... She's the first name I remember as a female boss. But if you, if you read the book, the amount of times that she would spend months and months training and then she'd go over to New, New Orleans for a fight. Yeah. And then after everyone had deducted their expenses, there'd be nothing left for her. Yeah. She'd be and sleeping she was, on floors and stuff, wouldn't she? Rather yeah, yeah. She didn't have the fee for the hotel room. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she slept in before a title fight. She slept in a, on a in a in the lobby of a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> because know? she got there and the promoter hadn't sorted her out with a hotel room. Yeah, yeah. As part of the deal, and then didn't pay her. I mean, and this is the this is a much more reflection on me than them. Yes. Right? I, I, if there's a women's boxing match or a women's UFC match that is particularly brutal, yeah, I struggle to watch that. Like a. And I wouldn't struggle to watch a man's fight. Yeah. Because I I don't want to see, and this sounds awfully sexist, but it's just the way that I can't help it. I don't want to see women getting badly beaten, even if it's by another woman and, and, and it's consensual and everything else. I struggle with that. But to think that that, that will give me the right <laughs> yes. to stop those two women making that decision exactly. themselves yeah. is fucking obscene. Yeah. But you look at amateur boxing, or whatever it's called now, Olympic boxing, I know it's not called amateur these days, but... Men's version, no headguards, because they've done research that shows that perhaps headguards doesn't actually benefit the mm. boxer in the way they thought originally it did. Women's still have the headguards. Perception-wise, mm. it makes it more acceptable in the wider public's view, and that's bonkers that people have this sort of split mindset. And then Barry Mogg. Amazing off the cuff. Incredible improviser. I don't, oh, I, I don't know where he... I don't know what circuit he grew up on. He was Com- a redcoat, wasn't he? Comedically. He is that a, what he did? He is did it? A lot, yeah, he did a lot of the sort of the holiday camp stuff. So you're dealing with, without being too brutal, if you're doing the average holiday camp, you're dealing with an ITV audience on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> no offence. I know that Stefan and I... We're very BBC know, boys. We're, we're swap shop, not tis one, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what can you do? We, I couldn't wheelie, Steph couldn't wheelie, L couldn't wheelie. A lot of people on, on Strike You Lucky could really like there's no tomorrow. But. <laughs> he also, in fairness, used to work clean, no swearing. It was a, it was early so you, on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, people loving. Do you know what I'm going to try and do one week? What? My, my kids weirdly love this podcast. I'm not a bad dad, right? But they love listening to it. Okay. I have to, now I feel awful. <laughs> no, there's certain bits. No, there's certain bits that I skip through. That's good. Um, but I, I say, listen, I can't avoid the, the adverts, I can yeah. avoid some. I can avoid. <laughs> genuinely, right? I shit you not. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Margan Park with the kids yesterday. <laughs> and I played a bit of the podcast on the way down. Yeah. And, and my boy said, Dad, can we have the podcast on the way back? I said, Yeah, well, well, we'll see, mate. Maybe it's difficult in the car. Mostly about doing really... it for the second half. But... <laughs> I, can't, I can't skip through stuff. There is the definite car, proof right? that Uncle Ellis does it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big man, you know, Uncle Ellis. You know, said Uncle Louse is a sad virgin, right? <laughs> Why is he going to an STD oh. clinic there, Dad? 
He's a sad virgin. So <laughs> I said, to, I said to him, I said, listen, it's not. I said, the thing in the car, mate. I can't skip through things as easily because I'm driving. You know. I said, he said, well, I've heard the. I said, I know you've heard swear words in school. I said, it's not really the swear words, mate. I said, but some of the stuff we talk about is a. I don't really want you to listen to it. Yeah. He said, what? Like when he washed his dick in the sink. <laughs> <laughs> so I spat my coffee everywhere. <laughs> said, yeah, like that. That's the kind of thing. I said, yeah, like that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, before Danny yeah, met Mummy, oh. I think he's been secretly having a listen. So, um, hey, yeah, so no, what I'll try. Hi, Ben. What I'll try. What must, he th- what must he think of you? Uncle Al can't talk to you. Ben, he's a... Uh, he's, uh, He's doing it somewhere <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> doing what? Doing it. it. You, you, you'll find out. Uncle Keep Al's me. busy. I mean, serious, not Benny. Does it, Lords? Loves <laughs> it. Loves it. He's out of a shag of mine. Oh, out of a shag of mine. Tomorrow's podcast, we, we're recording back to back because boys are doing stuff. Yeah. I will not say the word fuck or any variation of it. Okay. Uh, I probably won't say the word shit or any variation. Okay. I try not to say the word wank or any variation. Okay. And I won't say the word cunt or any variation. All right. Okay. All right. So, uh, so I'll, try, I'll try to do. I'll, I might do a bloody. I might do a bugger. They seem very Welsh and very very okay. harmless. Piss. But I, no, I won't do. I won't say piss or any okay. variation. This is like. A, this is like. Anna, back me up. This is and you'll know. I've this, sat right? in these when meetings. You, this is why I'm finding. Yeah. When it you're sending a script in. Yeah. And it's got to go through compliance with BBC. Yeah. And I'll come back and say on page seven, well, you can have that fuck. We but trade you take it. The, you can have that fuck and you can have the bugger on page 11 as long as you take the motherfucker to page 3. <laughs> okay, no problem. And you can say arsehole to mean a person but not a sphincter. <laughs> there we go. Really? Yeah. I and, go the and, other way. And also, the trick, and also, as I found out, go on. The trick is to that? chuck in 12 motherfuckers so then the fuck yes. that you really want on page 7 gets to stay in oh, because by then it just looks so tame in comparison. Love it. Yeah. Let's finish off with books then, Mike. What have you got? Right, well, I am denied about this because I thought I get a lot of stick for my my lack of reading prowess, even though I consider myself to be a very well-read man uh, um, and very intelligent and very erudite. You consider yourself to be all those and that's me that's, that's a great opinion to have that's of oneself. I consider myself to be erudite, <laughs> suave. Some would say being witty. <laughs> and just great company. Great, but, good um, at doing it. <laughs> magic at doing it. So I th- I've been wondering, this has been in my bar next to this chair where I, I record for, for about a month now. Right. And I referenced it the other day when we talked about the NASL, because there's a, a thing in there on the New York Cosmos. I thought, I can't use this as my book. And I thought, do you know what, Mike? You're in, you're in your late 40s. You can do this as your book. Yes. You, know. you can do what you like. Yeah. I've picked for my book this 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 podcast, mm-hmm. the Scoop Sports Annual from, from 1982. <laughs> right? Now, you think this is going to help? Yeah, yeah. And Kelly reads you that. Have a little snigger. <laughs> does, not, does Ben not find it degrading when you do that the, the, the moment this is on audible I'll be all over it put it that way if we get Ben so to just record the, books for you just the front cover right is Terry is Terry McDermott Bjorn Borg 
Barry Sheen and Seve Ballester. Nice. Right? So when you go through it, it's not like you buy shooting and be mostly football. But scoop was a real all-rounder thing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to flick through it now. And we got this stuff on Jack Nicholas. Uh, there's some great uh, comic strips in there. There's a big bit about the 66 World Cup, even though it was 15 years after the event. There's a superb <laughs> bit called, called Tall, Dark and Deadly about the West Indies. And then he got features on Kevin Keegan. There's a great one on Kenny Roberts and Kenny Roberts at home, right? And Kenny Roberts is one of my heroes. Great pictures. Then there's a bit on Eric Bristow. Then there's Brian Jacks, David Wilkie, Daley Thompson, Ozzy Ardiles. Then there's a great comic strip called The Speed Kings. And then we've gone to Speedway, J.P.R. Williams, George Bailey, Alex Higgins, Eddie Kidd, Ollie Olsen, Kevin Keegan. We've got a spot the ball competition. We've got a, he- a great feature on uh, Seve and Jack Nicholas. Then there's a great bit on, which I talked about before, the New York Cosmos. You sold it to me, Mike. Sharon Davis. You, so- you, I think Sharon you sold Davis. it to me. You literally sold it to me. It's, it's fa- it, Feels like my know, car it's one boot. Of those you, if you get a chance, right, this will be on eBay somewhere, I'm sure, right? If you want a proper slice of, of 80s nostalgia, when sport really was sport, then you can do a lot worse than get the scoop sport angle from 1982 and get a nearest, one of your nearest and dearest to <laughs> <laughs> It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I'll, 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 take the, uh, I'll take all the abuse. I'll take all the stick. But if you're talking about a book that's given me a lot of pleasure that I've had for, you know, 38 years, and I still read on a very, on, on a regular basis. Scoop Sports Annual nine eighty two. Happy days. Thank you very much. Right, we will be back and with another one of these this time. It's not Norman Mailer. <laughs> <laughs> if Norman Mailer's writing cartoon strips in it. And Plimpton. I reckon Norman Mailer, I think he wrote Speed King. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't it didn't. Plimpton's doing cannonball. Let me do the nineteen eighty two Scoop Sports Annual crossword. You've been go go. ready? See how many of these you know. Okay. Next one across. Number seven used to be called at what right? Number seven on a Oh, um, far right. An outside right. Outside right's correct answer. Liverpool's ground. Unfield. Yes. Someone replaced a Tottenham, four letters. A spur. I, I suppose it's just a spur, yeah. It's a crap one. Uh, West Brom's owner in 1982. <laughs> West oh. Brom's owner in 1982. <laughs> oh, sorry, West Brom's Owen, four letters. Mark. Okay. Dave. Gary. Two just any four letter. <laughs> four letter names. Hit me. Nickname the Potters. Stoke. Stoke. Stoke, isn't it? Yeah. Mechanics use this on rear axles of motor racing cars. Noob. Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Training. I'm asking you these because I've had, the, I've had this for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, you haven't years. been able to I'm do really, it. <laughs> <laughs> you turned this into an elaborate quiz. You sat there with a pencil filling it in while we're talking. I only knew, I only knew outside right in Anfield. Oh, the whole this, this, Mike's handwriting really changes as he as he fills the crossword in. <laughs> it's a ten year it's gap. Different colour pens. <laughs> oh, when your team's five nil up, you chant this. Four letters. Easy. Oh, easy. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Oh, okay. In the old days, not these days. You chant twelve cunts. <laughs> in those days. Eighty-two was different, wasn't it? <laughs> it's all different in those days. Right, thank you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Mate. We will be back with another one of these uh, this time next week. We'll bring you, if you are in the top couple of levels of the Patreon, 
will bring you Mike thank Lowen's you. movie club. Oh yeah, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, I went far too radio host, and you'll be in the polite one. Go on. Yeah, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> I mean, that was more insincere than me just brushing over it. <laughs> I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Yes, uh, yeah, we'll bring your Mike Lowen's movie club at some point very, very.